key point, key point number four. The gospel calls us to repentance. The gospel calls us to repentance. Let's pick back up verse 27. It says, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. That's, this is going to be Matthew, by the way. Sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, the Pharisees went through great lengths to avoid any association with the quote-unquote unclean people. You had leprosy? Ugh, don't want to have anything to do with you. You're a tax collector? Ugh, you're a sinful person. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Oh, you have, you've done this? Ugh, don't want to have any. They were so, so convinced that their own personal holiness was consumed with isolating themselves away from everybody else. Get away from me, get away from me, depart from me, depart from me. Because why? Because I have got to protect my own righteousness. I have to protect my own holiness because it comes from within me. That's their attitude, right? Their holiness, their righteousness, it's all dependent upon themselves and protecting themselves and isolating themselves from anyone who might be considered unclean. They didn't want their association with sinful people to tarnish their image of what they believed was holiness. Their hope is not in the gospel. Their hope is not in the gospel that Jesus was preaching and teaching. Their hope was not in that. Their hope was in their own ability to maintain their own sense of holiness. And as long as they can avoid the leper, as long as they can avoid the paralytic, as long as they can avoid the tax collectors, as long as they can avoid the sinners, then they can maintain the, their own sense of self-righteousness. And you know what? I get it. Sometimes Christians, we often struggle with the question of, how do we engage non-believers? To what extent do we engage them? You know, I often hear people say, you know, should we, uh, should we go with them, you know, to the bar after work? Do we go, where do, do we go hang out with them in these places? I mean, let me be clear on a couple of things. Jesus spent time with sinners, but he hung out with his disciples. I often hear people say, Jesus hung out with sinners, no, he really didn't hang out with them. He associated with them. He associated with them. He would, he would show up, but it was for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. It was for the purpose of getting in their boat, and it was for the purpose of getting into their environment and engaging them and pointing them so that the gospel could do its work in their heart. Jesus was not at the bars to party with them. Jesus was not here in, in Levi's house just to, just to go and have a little party with everybody. He didn't, he didn't hang out with the, the, the sinners. Jesus associated with them. He spent time with them. Who did he hang out with? His disciples. He spent the, much of his time discipling and teaching and spending time with his, his core believers, those who had placed faith in him, that's where he spent his core time. 
and then he associated with others. Here's my point. As Christians, as we try to balance that, where do we, where do we hang out and how much association do we have with non-believers? We have to make sure that our inner core, those that we hang out with, are that inner core, those that are disciples, followers, that are encouraging in our, us in our faith, and then we do what? Then we also associate ourselves. We can't just isolate ourselves. That's what the Pharisees did. We can't isolate ourselves to the degree that we never encounter anyone lost, but we need to associate with them. So ultimately, the gospel should prompt us toward an inward examination that results in a repentant heart. And if we find ourselves looking, as the Pharisees did, at the condition of the heart of others, we start looking at the condition of others. He's a leper. leper. Oh, he's a tax collector. He's a this. You're not examining your own heart. You're, You're trying to examine somebody else's. You're trying to examine what somebody else is going through. And if you're doing that, you've missed it. You, you've, you're, you're overlooking the importance of the gospel. We're no different than the Pharisees who, who ignored their own heart and only saw the sinful condition of others. So let's pick back up, verse 33, to the end of the chapter. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? By the way, that's John the Baptist. They fast often, they make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees But yours, speaking to Jesus, your disciples eat and drink. Jesus said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Both are preserved. No one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. And we come to the end of the chapter. And then almost, you know, you're almost thinking, well, this is a parable. What is this? Listen, the parables, every single parable, and Luke has more parables than than any of the other gospel writers. Every single parable is going to fit into the narrative of what else has happened around it. In other words, everything that we have seen is all about the gospel, right? The gospel exposes our hearts. The gospel has the ability to cleanse our hearts. The gospel has the ability uh, to to forgive us of our sins. The gospel uh, calls us to repentance. If if this was about the gospel, and this was about the gospel, and this was about the gospel, and this was about the gospel, then what do you think the new wineskins is all about? What do you think this new wine is about? The gospel. It's about the gospel. In fact, let let me summarize it this way and we'll wrap up. Jesus did not come to patch up a broken system. There was a, there was a, the the old system, the old testament, the old way of doing things. Jesus didn't just come to put a patch on it and say, here's something else, here's a, here's a patch that'll make it a little bit better. Why is that? He's not merely providing a patch on an old system because patchwork is a temporary fix. If you try to fix something with patchwork, it's temporary. 
What Jesus is bringing is not temporary. The gospel is not temporary. The gospel is not for but a season. The gospel is something that he's saying, listen, this is going to make an eternal difference. This is something that's going to go with you into eternity. The gospel is the new wine, and it cannot be contained by the law of the old wineskin. The gospel, the new wine, cannot be contained by the law or the old wineskin. The law has never been able to bring salvation. All the law can do is what? The law can be our tutor. The law can expose our hearts. The law can point out our sinfulness. The law can do all of those things, but it is insufficient to do all the things that we've read about in this chapter. It, we, we read about how the gospel brings forgiveness. We read about how the gospel brings cleansing to our heart. We read about how we, it, it calls us to repentance. The law has never been able to bring salvation. It can teach us. So the gospel, the new wine, is preserved by the grace of God. That's the new wineskin. So, if we're not careful, we will attempt to do what? To put new wine in old wineskin. What do I mean by that? When our faith is focused on, I accept the grace of God, but I, I, I still want to do these good things to kind of maintain. and have my, I still want to isolate and still, I still want to be judgmental. And I still, what do we do? We're, we're trying to do what? We're trying to fit the gospel into an old system, and it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And if we're not careful, we will be tempted to do that very thing and put new wine and old wine skin and try to just do good things to earn our salvation or avoid bad things to maintain our salvation. Hear me on this. Non-believers can do good things. Non-believers can avoid bad things. As Christians, the gospel invites us to abide in Christ, to follow him. That's the difference. It's not about doing good works. It's not about avoiding the bad people and the bad things. It's about an abiding relationship with Jesus. That's the difference. And when we attempt to produce the character of God without abiding in Jesus, we have developed nothing more than a legalistic religion that is void of the gospel. And that leads us to one last thought. Jesus did not come to repair an old system. He came to give us spiritual wholeness through the gospel.